It's not about me. I'm only here for a minute, and I know that I can't fix it. I can help even just a little bit. Won't you let me try? Hello and welcome to the latest Laz and Powers podcast. I'm Mark Lazarus, joined by Scott Powers of The Athletic. Scott, are you just seeing Patrick Kane goals in your sleep now? Like when you close your <laughs> eyes, do you just see spinoramas on your back of your eyelids? It, it was actually easier than I expected uh, being able to find them, which uh, a lot of the work had been done for me with people like putting together playlists of Kane goals. And there were there were a few missing and the Blackhawks helped me a little bit and I had to dig a little bit for others and... It helped that I did that. Uh, well, I didn't finish it last season, but I was doing that Kane piece of how he scored, how he scored every goal, and so I, I, I pieced it together. And then um, it just—it's—it's it's when you take out the playoff goals, like they all just—it, it, you know, like it—it it doesn't feel like it—it it has the same powerful impact to them, you know, like they're. It's well, yeah, I mean, if you if you ask any Blackhawks fan, what's your favorite Patrick Kane goal? They're gonna say Game Six against Philly in 2010. They're gonna say. Game five, double overtime against the Kings in 2013. They're going to come up with these dramatic, you know, life-changing goals, not random pretty goal against the Minnesota Wild <laughs> right, in right. March of 2011, you know? So th- th- that was the fun part. It was kind of, I, I guess, the determining what was, like, how I'd rank them and what I would use. Uh, yeah, a lot of it was just style and, you know, like it was... Uh, and I'll, I'll maybe I'll go into this. I'll do some kind of powers points at some point. But the couple of things that I, I realized going through this was one we probably didn't give Patrick Sharp enough credit, like how good of a pass he was. Like he oh, yeah. he set up Kane on so many of those goals. Like if I were to rank the people who not not rank them, but the people who had the most influence in setting up Kane's goals, like it's Sharp, it's Panarin, it's Taves, um, and then it's probably Gustafsson. Like it's it's crazy how <laughs> much Gustafsson, uh, how many of the goals were set up by him. Just and and Kane's just like one timers perfectly, and like it was just it, it would it would be open nets. Like it, it it's too bad Gustafsson didn't work out defensively for the Blackhawks because he was he was one of the best players with Kane. Like it was, um, yeah, there were so many goals that were just so easily there, and 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 that's what they probably. I mean, they want eventually Boquist or Mitchell or someone to get there, but um, that's the element I feel like the Blackhawks are missing is that defenseman who like is even watching it, like Campbell had some incredible passes and in, in Seabrook and. Um, you know, Keith can still do it occasionally, but even like a younger Keith was setting up Kane for that. But Emery Campbell had this incredible play where it was like a slap, slap pass, and it was just done at such high speed. And Kane, you know, one timed it in, and just it's uh, they had such elite defensemen there for a while, especially offensively elite defensemen that they obviously are hopeful in some of those young guys. But I, I feel like that's the next step is those guys to figure out how to play with Kane, and, and there's so much to tap into there. Well, that's just it. I mean, when Kane came into the league, he was a playmaker because there were so many finishers on that team. But uh, as he evolved as a player, he started becoming a finisher. He, he became a sniper. I mean, you know, I was figuring out how many goals it took him to get all of his uh, – uh, how many games it took him to get his goals. And it was like 300-something games to get his first 100 goals. And now it's like 215 to get his last 100 goals because <laughs> yeah. he's just a sniper now. But part of that's by necessity is – there are no playmakers on this team. You have guys like Dylan Strom is, but he doesn't play with Kane very often because it doesn't work out very well. Strom is really the only terrific passer among the forward group on this team. I mean, there might be some of these some young guys, but they haven't proven themselves yet. Debrinket's not a playmaker; he's a finisher. You know, Pia Suter, we're, we're still figuring that out. But other than Strom, there's not a lot of guys that can just create goals for someone else the way that Kane had so many of those teammates back then. So Kane is 
become the finisher because he's the best playmaker on the team. So now it's Kane bouncing pucks off people's, you know, the back of their head for goals because he can do that. But uh, it's interesting, all those guys you mentioned, I think there's like a, like a, there must be like a clause in his contract, his most recent contract, that anytime Patrick Kane falls in love with a teammate, they have to trade him. <laughs> and you go through Panarin, and then it was Schmaltz, and then it was uh, you know, Gustus, and like you said, all these like gifted creative playmakers, Tavo even, they're just not here anymore. Um, so uh, watch your back to bring it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I And we can go a little bit into last night's game, but I, I think the Brinkett is the story of the season for the Blackhawks right now. Yeah, what now. a like, player he's become, huh? It's just, it's it's the two-way game. Like, it's, I mean, this is, you know, we wrote, we wrote about it last night, but for, for a kid who was drafted because he was too small and they thought he was too one-dimensional and they were even worried that that one dimension wasn't going to work in the NHL, for him to become... This player where he's, you know, he's scoring like there was all these doubts even last season where his production went down and a lot of it seemed to be just based on um, some bad luck. And, and and now the goals are going in, but he's, he's also become this this defensive player. And, and you know, he's he's in the top 20 in, in uh, takeaways and, he, and he's and he's making a difference and, and and he's really changing that line again. I mean, when you when you look at what Kane's been able to do in the past with Sharp and Panera and. Um, you know, part of it's Anisimov and Suter deserves some credits. Like Suter's played well again, and he was actually taken off that line for a minute and, you know, earned his way back on and it's been good again. But um, it, it's someone, you know, Sharp being a two-way play, Panera, you know, pretty, being pretty defensively responsible. Um, those guys are key. And, and that's also why Dabrinkit, Strom, and Kane didn't work out so often because it wasn't always the the two-way play and there was just too much of, a, you know, ups and downs. And and the brink, it's really, you know, like the fact he's winning pucks back, he's winning loose pucks. He's he, defensively, he's he's solid, and and Suter is pretty solid too. Like it's just it's 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 allowed them. And 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 you made a good when we were you know when we were writing last night's piece. You you, you know after I think it was after what the second period, right, or when they had that shift. Oh, late in the second. Yeah, yeah, late in the second, you came over to me like you know that was a shift where this team looked like it was legit, you know, and and then you know going back and watching it and then cutting it like they were they were in the zone, you know, offensive zone for a minute plus, and you know multiple entries and multiple scoring. They were chances. cycling it, you know, they, they they were incorporating Boquist into the cycle, which is not something we've seen a lot from them. Even when they do have a good shift, it's usually all down low. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we used to take for granted watching this team when they had so many great players. That was the kind of shit where you watch that, you're like, well, shit, that looks like a hockey team down there. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's something. And, and you're, to bring it, it it's, it, it's amazing. You know, it's funny because I, you know, everyone doubted to bring it. And, you know, it, every single team in the league passed up on him. And then some passed up on him twice to pick guys that'll never make it in the NHL. And it was because of his size. And I remember thinking, oh, this guy's like 5'8. He's not going to be in the NHL. This is stupid. We all kind of thought that, but then you look at the numbers and you discount his numbers in the OHL because he was playing with Connor McDavid, and there's so many reasons to doubt him. And I remember the first time I, I you you watch these prospects a lot more closely than I do. The first time I got to see him was at uh, the Traverse City tournament, um, uh, before his before his rookie year, and he came out and he's this little tiny guy. And I just you know of all the things that happened, he scored a lot of goals and made a lot of nice plays. I just remember this fight he had, and I'm not a big hockey fight guy, but I was like, he went and just he picked a fight. With a guy who was like 6'3", 220 pounds, and he kind of beat the crap out of him. Like, there's something, like, this kid's got, you know, uh, uh, the, he's got that kind of like, I don't fucking care how small I am. I'm really good, and I'm going to show you every way I can do it. And I think last year was kind of good for him in a lot of ways, because he did not score goals last year. He had, what, 18, 19 goals? And everyone was picking on him about it and saying, oh, you know, he's come back down to earth, and this is, he's not, a f-. but he had a really good season last year. And he would tell anyone that would listen, I think I'm playing the best hockey I've ever played. Puck's not going in, but I'm, 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 I'm growing my game in other ways. And we're seeing it now because now the puck's going in 
and he's doing all the other stuff, and he just keeps taking steps every single year. And we're seeing, I don't think anyone expected him to become, you know, a little tiny Marion Hosa, but he's lifting sticks and making plays and, 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 you know, breaking up plays in the other end. I mean, it's, it's really been remarkable to watch a guy who is so one dimensional coming in. At least that's what we were told become this really good, well-rounded player where he is, he's becoming a legitimate star in this league. And I, and I think it continues to lead to the narrative about the future, right? Like it's, if you can find someone who's Kane's winger and that's been something they've been since Panarin's gone, they haven't really figured that out. And and this thought is still that Doc is as good as Suter's been, and he's and he's certainly proven himself to be an NHL player, and he's been good with them. Like it's it's Doc takes that line to another level, and that's that's a line that you know even if a Kane's game, you know, if it, it does fall off a little bit as he gets later in his thirties, like if you have Doc and DeBrinket still leading that, and and Kane's still playing to his strengths, like that's. Kane's vision is never going to go away. His playmaking is never going to go away. Yeah. So, like, like if, if you have that line, I mean, you can look at that line for another five-plus years, you know? Like, that's something that, um, yeah, I, I feel like it's such a big point. It, it, like everything just, it, it feels like you, you you have to figure out how does this figure out, you know, how, how does this play into the future? And and to bring it taking that step to another level, it's it's not... It's not like you have to shelter that line anymore, you know. Like it's, I think you can think of Dabrinkit in a different way, just the same way you can you think of well now Kurashev and Hagel and, and Suter. These guys are all parts of the of the future, and and Dabrinkit's a legitimate. Yeah, I don't. I, I think you know even if Taves comes back, like that that can be the top line, and you certainly want to give them offensive zone opportunities. But uh, you know if if Doc continues to progress and Dabrinkit, like it just yeah, I, I think that's one of the yeah one of the more probably more exciting reasons for Blackhawks fans to be excited is that. You have a legitimate, um, legitimate top line, and and and, and having and someone. Two of them are two of them are kids. Yeah, having and having someone to play with Kane, where just and and Kane's excited about it too. Like him and Debrink could have clicked off the ice for a long time now, and hasn't exactly clicked on the ice, and now it's finally uh, you click in there too, and and like probably will continue to evolve. Yeah, I mean they they're like kindred spirits in a lot of ways. You know, they're they're both hockey nerds, and that just sit there on you know even when they're on their off time, they're just watching hockey, talking about hockey. You know, Strom's in that little club too, and they they just love hanging out, and that's why you see them on the ice at the end of every practice. They're the last ones out there because they're playing skills games and screwing around and feeding each other one timers, and you know all that adds up. And uh, you know that's you know that's Kane. Kane's the captain of this team this year. I mean, with Taves not here, you know Keith is Keith Duncan. Keith still plays a very large role on this team and has a has an outsized influence. But Patrick Kane is the captain of this team. He's he is the MVP of this team. He might be the MVP of the league right now. And he is the one kind of leading the charge and everyone's following in his wake. And he he is making Dabrinkit a better player. Dabrinkit's doing a lot on his own. But when you play with Patrick Kane, it tends to bring out the best in you because you have to keep up with him. So it challenges you to be better. And Dabrinkit this year is really, you know, rising to that challenge. And so you got that top line of the future. And then you got a line with, with Kubalik will be anchoring a line with whoever's going to be in that second, whether it's Taves or Dylan Strom or, you know, Pia Suter or, or Philip Kershaw, whoever it's going to be. You're going to have a good top six. For the foreseeable future here, then it's just a matter of, you know, rounding out the the, the the lineup and hoping some of these defensemen, you know, become what you think they can become. And you've got a young goalie who's playing at a great level in Kevin Lankin and 44 saves last night. And all of a sudden you start saying, well, shit, maybe they're farther along on this rebuild path than, than a lot of us uh, expected. I think we'll know a lot more after these next three games, right? Like, Camp is coming! It, it feels like, yeah, it's the first time in years where a series and, and there there were probably a couple of series in the last couple of years where, you know, like the, these are games that are going to determine whether they're in the playoffs or not. But this, I don't, this just feels like such a, 
barometer test, you know, like it's uh, so far this year against the elite teams, they've struggled. Like it's, it's a different level between Florida, Tampa and Carolina um, and everyone else. And, it, and it's hard to gauge exactly because they placed Tampa and Florida so early in the season. Um, I think Carolina's had their number, but th- there are a lot of similarities between those teams and how fast they are and um, you know, how, just how aggressive they are. And um, yeah, now with a three game set, like even if the Blackhawks get swept in the series, which is completely possible, like they're still a potential playoff team because I think that fourth spot's so up for the grabs, but this is sort of, yeah, this, this is going to test where they're at. And, and, it's, and the reward for that fourth spot is going to be a first round series against Tampa, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm curious because that's the Carolina game wasn't good, you know, like it's, they played against well against Columbus, and they've certainly. I thought this entire they, they've hung with Carolina though a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not like every game against them has been you know a blowout. Some of them have been. They're just the metrics sometimes like they yeah they, they were a little bit more one sided than we've seen with other. There's teams. been too many track meets. I mean, there's Carolina with their speed and their size and their depth. They can really open things up, and when the Blackhawks let their guard down a little bit, things get out of control. Tampa is very similar. Tampa is even more skilled. So uh, and they're just they just took three in a row against Carolina, uh, and then just destroyed Dallas. I mean Dallas is in total free fall right now. We thought they were going to be a powerhouse. They are absolutely shit in the bed right now. But you got uh, this this schedule for the Hawks. It's just I mean it's 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 the death march, uh, and it's just you got Tampa, Tampa, Tampa. Then you got the two in Dallas, and you got Florida two in a row. Florida is playing great hockey. Joel Quenville is probably you know Jeremy Carlton's. Primary competition for the Jack Adams right now, I would think, which is interesting. And then there's two more against Tampa, and then there's two more against Florida, and then you got a break against Nashville, and then it's Carolina. So, I mean, we're going to know a lot more about where these Blackhawks stand after March. Uh, It might not be pretty. They could lose a lot of games this month. Um, It doesn't discount what they've done. It'll just be kind of a reality check that, you know, while they're farther along than a lot of us expected them to be, there might still be quite a long way to go to that contender level because Tampa and Carolina uh, and Florida, those are legitimate contenders this year. And we'll we'll see just how big the gap is there between the Blackhawks and those contenders. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge for them is just, you know, what we saw early in the year was a lot of breakdowns. And we, and we saw some of those against Detroit uh, in the previous game where those, those, little, those little breakdowns just become so massive. And, and, you know, regardless of how well your goaltending is playing. So... I, I I think that's got to be the focus for for Carlton here is that I just I want my team to look good you know like you you don't want to look like two different teams when you're facing Columbus to or in Dallas and to to what you are when you're facing these teams because uh, it, it is a step up but you, you want to feel like there's there's progress there and and um, yeah that feels like with this there's definitely a lot of factors in the way a lot of factors to be positive about the season but. It, and it's and a lot of it's you know like these kids are still pl- like learning to play against this top level like for Kershev and Hagel and all these guys like it's it, I I think playing these type of games are, are, are even if they do falter like they're so key to their development and being kind of understanding what it takes to be at the level and 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 we wrote about it when they played Carolina last was that this is the type of team that you know they want to be and and they can learn things from that so um, yeah I, I don't I this is like the first time in a while that I feel you know like it's. Like these games matter, you know, like they're they're more interesting. Like I, I feel like a lot of times over the last few years, we've talked such in broad terms of even on this podcast, we know, like we, like we'd come off a game and then like, it was like, well, what does this mean for the future of the defense sucks or the, you know, like this and and these games actually feel, yeah, they feel like it's, it's it's specific. 
I know there's going to be people out there, the cynical people out there. I, I understand. I get it. They're going to be like, well, if they're just going to get their ass kicked this month, then isn't that the worst case scenario to be, you know, the fifth place team or even just to get into the playoffs, just to get destroyed by Tampa? Wouldn't it be better to get a top three, top five pick? I, I understand that. But no matter how this plays out, the progress and the development that has taken place so far this season is more valuable in the long run than one player is going to be, that one draft pick is going to be, especially a draft pick that's no sure thing. Uh, this is a wide-open draft. There's no generational talent. And look what Alexis Lafreniere is, Lafreniere is doing this year anyway. You never know what you're going to get with a draft pick. You still to want have, a top-five draft. <laughs> you want Oh, you want it, yeah. But I'm saying I, if you gave me the choice at the beginning of the year, look, you could either get a top-five draft pick and your team is god-awful all year, or you could have seven or eight real rookies come in and make significant strides yeah. toward their NHL career. I would take eight guys over one question mark, eight short things over one question mark, any day of the week. So even if they do finish in that that, that worst-case scenario where they just missed the playoffs and don't get a top-five pick, this season will have been significant, important, and a big positive just because of everything that's happened given all that they lost over the offseason, all the guys that aren't playing right now, for them to make the strides they've made, that's going to pay off down the road more than any one player would. Yeah. Unless I, that player is Patrick Kane type. Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone I talk to still swears at Owen Powers, and, and I, I realize that I talk to a lot of people who know Owen Powers where he's legit, and I know the rankings have changed. He's not even a consensus number one right I know. There it's, is it's no really consensus strange. And it's funny because a lot of people feel like that they – like there aren't as many games being played that the players are being analyzed at a different level now. Like it's just like you can only watch so many guys. So it's like, oh, I'm just going to nitpick. And I think when you look at a 17, 18 year old, like it becomes a lot easier to like find flaws in it. Um, well, there, there's also real talk that there might not be a draft this yeah, year. That, yeah, that's crazy. Which is too, just yeah. mind blowing to yeah. me. Like, w- what have you done the last three? You, you scout these guys more than just the last couple of months. You know, make your fucking pick, take your chance. I don't know. This whole push for having. Two consecutive drafts next summer is the most absurd idea I've ever heard. I yeah, know if that I'm an eighteen year old kid, like you know, Owen Power, whomever, I'd be pissed off like that. Yeah, you know, I understand that not a lot of leagues are playing, or they're playing in you know short seasons, and there's less to scout, and you can't be there in person. I don't care. Make do. Take your chances. Yeah. You know, project these guys. That's your job as a GM. That's your job as a scout. Don't just punt till next year. It's going to fuck up everything in terms of free agency down the road. You're going to have all the you're going to have multiple superstar young players going into their free agency years at the same. It, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, There's right. a million reasons not to do it. The I don't know if they're good or not. Well, it's not they, a good I mean, reason. This is also the flaw of the you know when when I wrote about uh, uh, God who did I write about uh, I'm blanking on um, on Mark Eden about the just what the. What 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 the system is like? You, you you draft a guy and then you you basically send him somewhere else for two to three years and yeah. and try to develop. I mean, this is that NHL development is like you're projecting at a different level. Like at least in baseball, when you draft an 18 year old, you're usually sending him to the minors and they stay within your system. And and in college basketball and and, and football, usually you're drafting someone a little bit later. I mean, it's going to change probably in the NBA again with one and done. But it, it's such a yeah, you're drafting kids so young to project them so far in the future for most NHL players that it's yeah it, I mean this is what they're doing and it's a little bit harder but yeah I, I don't see how you you push this back and it's hard is not a good reason to completely blow up everything for yeah. an entire year yeah no, come I, on give me a break yeah and, and the sack other part, up make a pick and and, and, he, and, he, and I, I guess going back to this Tampa game like it's 
I feel like it's become easy for me, at least, like to lose sight that they're not playing with two top centers and Strom's out now and three, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, like it's 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 it, Nylander and, and again, I'm sure everyone just screams Nylander, Nylander reference. But it's yeah, the fact that they're competitive without those players, um, and you see it in so many different ways. I mean, Suter stepped up and, um, but they're still having faceoff problems and and you know, like yesterday, like I, I know as a faceoff violations happen so infrequently, but. You know, like it's usually a Taves face off or, you know, like or even on the PK when the PK falters a little bit, it's usually, you know, Taves would take in the face off and they and they right. win it there. And th- those little things add up. So it's um, yeah, I, I feel like that's such an important part of this. And it, I'm sure it's something will reiterate, reiterate throughout the whole season. But um, yeah, just, you know, they're they're having right now they're a playoff team without those guys. And I, I do expect that they're going to struggle a little bit against the Tampas of the world and. Um, but yeah, there's, there's really no, no shame in that at this point. So in a normal season, we'd be just past the trade deadline or today would be around the trade deadline this year because of the screwy schedule. It's, it's not till April 12th, but, uh, with, with, there's a lot of factors in play, a lot of moving parts with the, if you trade a team to a a guy that would Canadian team is going to be a two week quarantine. So we're going to start seeing things loosen up. I think it's not going to be like a typical trade deadline where everything happens at the last second. You're going to see some of this happen, I think, throughout March. And Craig Cussins and Eric Duhatchek had their big trade board today. They asked all the beat writers for their input on who might go and who might not be. And um, and I threw out Dylan Strom. Like, and I, I, I say this saying, I would not trade Dylan Strom. I'm a big Dylan Strom fan. I think he's a really good, underappreciated player um, who's just such a terrific playmaker. And you can't teach those kinds of skills. He's a, he's a point producer and a playmaker. He's good on the power play. Um, I understand his deficiencies. I understand, especially now that he is separated from Alex Dabrinkit, that he doesn't necessarily have a home in the lineup. And it's kind of Artem Anisimov syndrome, or once you took him away from Kane, he just wasn't any good. I understand all that. Um, but it, it, it sounds like, you know, Custons and Duhatchik did some digging, and we've, and we've uh, sniffed around on this too, that the Blackhawks are not actively shopping Dylan Strome. They don't want to trade Dylan Strome. But they're listening. They'll definitely listen. They're not opposed to the idea. They understand the big picture here. Uh, I'm curious what you think about Strom and his future here. I think when the Blackhawks signed him to this contract, that there was some thought that eventually they would move him. I, I'd be surprised if he gets another contract with the Blackhawks, considering, you know, if he, if he produces, it, even if he produces, like it's like at some point the Blackhawks are going to find themselves in a, I think in a cap situation again too, you know, like it, it's Boquist's contract and Docs and, and Mitchell's and, and none of these guys are making probably, you know, I, I, especially with doc not playing this year, like his next contract isn't going to cost them probably 6 million, like the, the Brinkets, but these guys are all going to cost them down the road. Um, it, it's nice to have young talent, but the way that the RFAs are set up now, like it's like, even now, like having to pay Suter, like Suter doesn't probably make as much as Kubalik does in his contract, but he becomes an RFA right away. Like their, their contracts coming up and, and they'll certainly try to balance that. Um, but I, I felt like when they signed, and, and I heard this from a source, is that they signed Strom to a two-year deal thinking that there's a possibility. Like, it's not definitive again, but th- there's a possibility they trade him before it's over with. And, and at that number, like, it was a manageable number for them to, to possibly keep, to possibly trade. I, I think it allowed them some flexibility. I, again, I think I'd be surprised if Strom's here on his next contract, especially, you know, like he, he'll have some more rights. His his number in his next uh uh, when he's qualified in his next deal is a little bit higher. And, and it's, again, it's about where, where he fits in, too. Like, if he's not playing, um, you know, center and he's not a top six person, like, if he just 
it's harder to justify the contract if you're going to pay him four or five million dollars. And, um, you know, like he, I think he, he needs to show that he can play wing. That's his future in Chicago. Yeah. He, if, if he can play wing, if he can adjust to that, and he didn't do a good job of that last year adjusting to wing. He was much more comfortable at center. But if he can play wing and play without Alex Dabrinkit, then he'll be able to, you know, make his case to stay. So I think he, they were about to move him to the wing when uh, when he got, got put into concussion protocol. So if he comes back soon, and you're always hoping that he comes back soon because, you know, concussions, are, uh, you never know. Um, he, if he comes back and is on the wing and he struggles again, then yeah, you know, maybe this is just go find a spot where he could be a center somewhere else and, and, and it'll work out. But if he goes to the wing and he starts setting guys up and making plays and, and being productive, I don't know. I'm of the belief, and you know, Stan Bowman used to talk about this all the time in the old days, where it's like, you know, you can never have enough really good players, guys that can score, guys that can produce goals. Um, you worry about everybody else later. You get the guys that can produce points, and Dylan Strome can be one of those guys. He is probably the third or fourth most talented forward they have. It's Kane, it's Debrinket, and then it's Kubalik and Strome in whatever order you want it to be. I don't know if I'd be so quick to give up on that just because it's not fitting right now or I'm worried about the money down the road. You know, eventually you got all these guys in LTIR and eventually Taves and Kane contracts will be uh, come off the books and you'll get them at a lower price in the next deal. And there's a, there's a million reasons why you can make Dylan Strom work for the future. But he's got to have to do it at wing. And if he shows that he can't do it at wing, that if he struggles again like he did last year, then all right, maybe you look to see what you can get for him. But if you're only going to get like a mid-round pick for him, Keep the guy for at least till next year. And no, yeah, no, I, I think yeah, I don't think year. you're in a rush to move him. Like it's he, he and, and right now, like he, he, I think he helps you. I mean, it, he hasn't been great at five on five this year, and that's they were hoping more from that. I mean, he, he's been better on the power play, and um, I, I think the cap thing it'll get interesting because right now, it, it, yeah, it's it, it works out okay, and and but you they have so much money that's just stuck on LTIR and guys, you know, Zach Smiths and Taves and Shaw. Uh, and Seabrook and yeah, there's so much, I mean, you could build an entire team with the money that they have on, on injured reserve, you know, like it's, um, and, and some of those contracts aren't ending and, and you don't know what their futures are. Like, I think it just, it's, it's a cloudy picture right now financially and, and some of them will clear up in the next few years. And, but, it, but it's, it's, you know, it is those young guys next contracts and it's, it's paying Kubalik again, you know, like Kubalik's, if he continues to produce, he's going to want more money. So I, I think there are a lot of different, yeah, different balls of Blackhawks are gonna have to juggle financially in the next couple of years and figure out who's part of the future. And um, because it, I mean, is Kershaw and Hagel, you know, like they're definitely pieces. Um, it, it'll help the Blackhawks that you know, even as guys come up soon in contracts, like they're not pr- producing a whole lot, so y- you can sign them to their next deals at a at a reasonable rate. But it's you know, it's further down the the line, and and I'm sure Strom is Strom's putting up numbers. Like he certainly looked coming back and and asking for more money and. Um, yeah, it's, it was interesting doing that story on Kyle Davidson. Just you know, and he's you know basically he made it sound like they expect the cap to be flat for many many years. You know, like right. it, it's going to take a long time. So it's going to be a lot of different. Uh, yeah, for every team to kind of be juggling financially to figure out where they are and projecting. So um, yeah, I, I, I was surprised that Strom was as high on their on their uh, on their list. Well, he's appealing. I mean, if you're a contender, he's an he's young, he's affordable, and he can produce points. Yeah, appealing. and I, and I but I guess. I mean, for for the Blackhawks to trade him now, I think it would it would it would require like a first round pick, or you know, it would yeah. co- require something. Like if you if Strom's gonna, and Strom's interesting because he is in an expiring contract. Like he's someone that if you trade for, you're looking to have him for at least the next two years and probably part of the future. So, um, 
I think there's more value in that too. So like if the Blackhawks are listening, like they they'd be looking for something pretty large in that package at this point. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's get a couple of voicemails here. Um, you can email us at lazandpowers at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 714-759-4529. Um, let's start with uh, Michael Curry here, because we were talking about face-offs earlier. And I, I, I'm always very dismissive of face-offs, because I think it's a, a stat that people obsess about, and it means very little. But uh, Michael Curry writes, I get frustrated when we can't win the draw at the beginning of the power play. I hope I'm not alone on that. Suggestion, similar to overtime. Would it be possible to have David Camp take the draw, second period only, then sub off? I know how it sounds, but those first 20 seconds of chasing the puck after losing the draw cuts into time the first unit has. This is one of the reasons the power play has been ineffective as of late. Um, I, I, I like what Colleton does in overtime where he you know he puts out a guy who can win the faceoff, and if he loses that faceoff, he gets Patrick Kane off the ice to save him for when they have possession. I don't know if I'd be willing to do that in the power play. I mean, even if the Hawks are winning, I think they're like, on, on power play, they're like at 40-something percent face-offs on the power play you're talking one face-off every nine or ten draws that's the difference between being 55 percent and feeling like you're you're winning them all you, you're gonna win about half the face-offs that's just how face-offs work and you know yeah you have guys that are better than others and camp is probably their best face-off guy with taves out but you put camp out there and then you got to get him off the ice because he's not a power play well, that's guy. the you, challenge you're, it's like you're losing your 20 seconds anyway yeah in three and three like you can take away the puck and bring it back like you can hold possession while right. someone's changing this you're going to want to that's a up. center ice face off where you can just shoot right to the bench. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this you're all of a sudden it becomes a four on four and them, you know, like the defensive team is going to be jumping on you. So to, to do this and, and keep the puck and gain the advantage would be really hard. And um, yeah, I, I don't see the upside, you know, like the, I know uh, Soderbergh's better, been better. And yeah, uh, you know, Strom had struggled uh, and he was good early in the season and he struggled. Like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is something they have to deal with a little bit. It's face. I, I keep face offs. They're just, they're not that important. I mean, they're important on a micro level. Like you, when you lose a face-off in a penalty kill and it's immediately in the back of your net, you say, well, that's why face-offs are so important. And yeah, sure. But if you had the best face-off guy in the world on the ice there, he would still lose four out of ten. So you, it's just... They just I, they just add up. Over the course of the season, it's going to cost the Blackhawks. You know, It's like, going to cost a couple of goals. A couple it, of goals yeah, no, over the course sure. of a full season. I, I, it's the type of team that like they, they it's so many one goal games like they, they right, matter sure, they matter yeah. to an extent like it's like, like you, you do put they're just not worth obsessing about no no like, no people, and, and I, like and I, every game i'm getting people like oh their face-offs are so bad why are they so bad yeah they're 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 47 at face-off you have a hundred face-offs yeah. they're gonna lose 53 of them if they were a great face-off team they would lose 43 of them yeah, it's yeah. not that big a deal no I, I think of them at two different levels i do think of them like analytically and what's What's been proven, and it takes so many goals to, to, to you know, re, you know, to Somebody have a goal them. difference and a game difference, and that. But I also think of like, well, if you're losing a faceoff, it does take energy to go win that puck back, and it's hockey, so at least it's a little bit easier. Oh, sure, you don't want to lose a faceoff. I'm not yeah. saying you want to lose a no, face-off. for no, for sure. And then, and then there's just there is the, the there are the goals that happen within seconds, and um, but those even do happen, you know, with Taves and the ice. So like he'll lose a faceoff, and sometimes right. they get scored again. So like Yannick Perot lost three out of every ten faceoffs. That's a that's that's a, a Hall of Fame batting average. I mean, it's it's just you're gonna miss some. Yeah, you're not gonna win them all. No, I I agree. It, it's it, it's half these faceoffs. It's I, like a guy kicking it to a winger, and the winger's the one that wins the faceoff. It's yeah. just so faceoffs are so arbitrary in so many ways. Like how the puck bounces, how it's dropped. You know, whose stick is down first? There's a million things that can just that play into it that you just it's never going to be a sure thing ever so, someone emailed me just recently asking if i could do an analysis and maybe i'll go through 
it'll take a minute, but maybe I go through a couple of games and just analyze every single face off and decide what happened after and how it was won and who like it might be a fun project and um yeah. You have a very different different definition of fun than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like it today, but maybe later in the week. All right. Uh Varun Batra asked, You mentioned that there's a dilemma for the Hawks in replacing Keith, that the Hawks have Doc for Taves, but not quite that level for Keith. Do you guys think that Henry Yoki Haru was that guy or had the potential to be? Seemed to be a guy that Q liked and played a lot, but under Colleton didn't get as much and yada, yada, yada. We know the story. Um, I mean, it's not like Yoki Haru was, you know, supplanting Rasmus Dahlin in Buffalo. I mean, he's he's he's, he's fine. He's, he's certainly an NHL caliber defenseman, but I don't think he's a number one defenseman. I don't think the Blackhawks ever no. saw him as a Duncan Keith type, you know. The, the, there's so many young defensemen now in the system that if Yoki Haru were here, hey, the more the merrier. But, um, you know, I was very critical of that trade when it went down. I'm still critical of that trade for the Nylander. But I don't think that Yoki Haru is going to be, like, one that got away on the level of a Panarin or a Teravainen or anything like that. He's not that level of player. He's a good, solid middle pair defenseman. At yeah, no, he's a 4-5 he's a or something, right? Yeah. Like, he's, and, and he's I, fine. I, I think it... It would have been really interesting, though, like if they had all these, because I think Yoki Haru can play in the NHL and, and he, he's, a, yeah, I think he'll play in there for a while. But if you had Mitchell and Yoki Haru and, and, and Bodan and, you know, Bode, yeah, who am I missing there? Uh, Boquist. Boquist. And, yeah, I don't know. I, I think this would have made this times even more interesting. And, and it, you know, Yoki Well, Haru- would Boquist have even co- been called up last year? I know, you know, if Yoki Haru was there and, and, and being that young, young, you know, promising defenseman would Boquist have even been rushed into the league the way he was and and, and part of it I mean it has to be the full picture too like they they traded Yoki Haru because I one I don't think I don't think they loved him like they you know like but also it was that they were worried I think there was a concern that Mitchell might not sign like there was you know like just where where does he fit in the future sort of thing you know when you when you look at you know they had Murphy and they had Yoki Haru and you look at all the defensemen and there are they already had some young defensemen coming and then they get the Han and all these things and like it was I think there was a bigger picture to that they thought Mitchell's ceiling was higher than than Yoki Haru's and and right now like you could probably make that case um and 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 I think that was part of the picture but yeah I, I don't think he was the number one and I I, I look at some of the guys. I think Mitchell's further ahead than some of these young guys. Like he's he's able to play the two way game and that and you know like he's. I don't think he's as offensively skilled as Bolquist, but I think his overall game is is more there. And and certainly you know him playing with Keith and I think they've been relying on Mitchell a lot more than they are the younger guys right now. So um, maybe Mitchell has that that potential. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think Yokohara was that guy. Like I think he could fit in this mix, but he wasn't going to be the guy who was going to take over Keith. All right, well, uh, go read Scott's uh, story on uh, Patrick Kane's 20-ish best goals. I think he got like 21 or 22 in there because yeah, you cheated. You had, a, you had a couple of ties in there because you're a cheater. And then, and then plus I, I misnumbered them one time, so it was... It, was... <laughs> it all blurs together after a it while. It, it, I, I feel like it was, yeah, it's not the definitive rankings. And I, uh, yeah, they, they did all those goals. It was fun to read because a lot of those, you know, bulk of those came from our time covering the team. So I'm like, oh, I remember that one. And oh, I, re- oh, I don't remember that one at all. And, you know, a couple of the spinoramas, you, you, they stand out. Um, it's fun to go back and look at those. Um, uh, Patrick Kane's going to be in his thousandth game, knock on wood, uh, next Tuesday. I've got a big project I've been working on for a while now I'm excited about. It'll be running sometime in the next week. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, and we've got a lot of other good stuff planned. In the meantime, 
Uh, again, email us at lazandapowers at gmail.com or call 714-759-4529. Uh, you can also get a subscription to The Athletic at, uh, at theathletic.com slash lazandpowers with a good discount there. Um, anything else you got, Scott? Uh, no, you know, we have our game piece up for observations. And oh, yeah, that's too. Fun to do. And uh, we'll certainly be writing off of all the Tampa games and uh, a couple of fun stories, I think, between there. Just uh, yeah, the, this is probably, I think, aside from that last Carolina, like there may be like two, three day stretches this entire season that they have off. So it gives us a little opportunity to write some different kind of content. So, yeah, certainly check all that out. And we'll be back on the podcast hopefully next week. Until then, we'll see ya. See ya. I can help even just a little bit. Won't you let me try?